Hi, David Emery here. This is for the record program number 1226, Microcosm. This is being recorded on February 11th of the year 2022. Before getting into the subject material of the program, proper three links, as always, these are at the top of each written for the record description, and also at the top of each Food for Thought post. One of these links will enable you to subscribe to the comments that are made mostly by our brilliant contributing editor, Parafractal. The second link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts of For the Record that are being made by sister station WFMU. So if podcasts are the best way for you to consume the program, then sister station WFMU is doing just that. And also, there is a 32 gigabyte flash drive with all of my roughly 43 years of broadcasting on the air plus the uh, written content on the spitfirelist.com website, including, by the way, the comments made by Parafractal and others. And uh, there is also on that flash drive a mini library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDFs. So uh, I am extremely pessimistic about uh, the future, and I can't encourage listeners strongly enough to basically pick the bit in their mouths and run with it, so to speak, by getting the flash drive, which you can for a very nominal fee. I get no money whatsoever from that, and it is tax deductible if you itemize tax deductions, then uh, you can get that flash drive, and that will basically make you a repository of the information that is presented uh, on this program, really on the SpitfireList.com website. And with everything that is going on, I think that would be a good idea. Uh, the title of the program refers to an expose of a key member of the American branch of Amnesty International. This gentleman's name was Luis, or Louis, L-U-I-S, Kuttner, K-U-T-N-E-R. And although a celebrated member of the board of directors of the American chapter, of Amnesty International, he, to say the least, had a checkered record. And looking at the things in which he was involved over the decades, uh, basically casts him and his life's work as something of a microcosm for what is going on today. And what is going on today, uh, frankly, makes me want to puke. Uh, as not only the Internet, 
but social media in particular become the driving factor in our political, intellectual culture, and also to an extent around the world as we become, in a sense, algorithm nation as uh, the ascent of the Internet uh, basically relegates investigative reporting to the, the journalistic and historical graveyard. We are living in an absolutely insane, would be a polite word for it, I would use stronger language, but this is being recorded for radio, so uh, uh, we don't want to run afoul of the FCC. What is going on today is absolutely bleeping insane, and watching it, frankly, makes me want to puke. Uh, Addressing in uh, <laughs> very brief microcosmic uh, fashion two considerations. No, Russia is not going to invade Ukraine, in my opinion. Uh, the situation there is dramatically different, almost uh, 180 degrees in opposition different from what we have been led to believe. The ascent to power over the Ukrainian national security and police apparatuses of the old OUNB fascist network has been all but expunged from American political and historical culture, including the so-called progressive sector. And that expungement exemplifies why I use the term, quote, so-called progressive sector, unquote, because it is progressive in name only, in my opinion. They have a an identity politics fixated foundation, which basically renders them to a large extent historically ignorant. And uh, what is going on vis-a-vis Russian military maneuvers, which are almost exclusively, by the way, on their own territory. They have recently undertaken some maneuvers uh, on Belarusian territory. Belarusia is immediately adjacent to Russia proper and was one of the Soviet socialist republics in the USSR. The Russian military maneuvers are involving, again, maneuvers and the stationing of munitions in forward bases, uh, not preparatory for an invasion of Ukraine. It would take a hell of a lot more than 130,000 troops to successfully invade Ukraine, and uh, such an invasion would basically be enormously destructive if there is an attempt by the Ukrainian government uh, or uh, elements associated with NATO, with uh, the U.S. national security establishment, to move militarily on the ethnic Russian 
breakaway republics in uh, the Donetsk region, then I think some Russian uh, military intervention in that region uh, might be a very strong possibility. Certainly a an augmented Russian support effort for those ethnic Russian and Russian-speaking breakaway republics, which have been engaged in a roughly eight years-long civil war with the Ukrainian government. Uh, however, again, it would take a hell of a lot more than 130,000 Russian troops to invade Ukraine. Such an invasion would be incredibly costly uh, diplomatically and militarily might very well result in a nuclear war, but it certainly makes great copy, and it enables the talking heads and the pseudo-sophisticates of our political intellectual culture to do the one thing that they do very well, which is to bloviate uh, unsubstantially. Uh, George Orwell observed in 1946 that, and I think I'm quoting this verbatim, but He observed that political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable, and also to give the appearance of solidity to pure wind, unquote. Well, that is what is happening with regard to Ukraine and Russia. That appearance of solidity to pure wind certainly is benefiting American munitions makers, it is benefiting hardliners, it also is benefiting Joe Biden, who is getting to oppose as a tough guy vis-a-vis Russia, whereas he wound up with a lot of national security PR egg on his face with regard to the uh, termination of the 20-year-long Afghanistan war that uh, withdrawal was largely negotiated by the Trump Pompeo State Department and uh, in many ways I think uh, was designed to uh, embarrass whoever fully implemented that. Uh, we haven't got time to go into it, but uh, withdrawing support for the uh NATO, for the air units, uh, not only uh, that the U.S. maintained, but the Afghan uh, air support network certainly doomed uh, any post-American slash NATO withdrawal to uh, a rapid collapse. Uh, we haven't got time to go into that now, and it really doesn't matter. What is largely being eclipsed is the fact that one of the dynamics in the Ukraine situation and Europe and NATO is natural gas. The Nord Stream pipeline, which will take Russian natural gas to Western Europe, uh, is still in abeyance, and uh, it remains to be seen if that is going to go ahead and uh, be a fulfilled project. However, uh, Ukraine proper has, at this point, largely undeveloped natural gas resources. Biden is doing what he can 
to get uh, natural gas from other sources to Western Europe. What has been overlooked is the fact that Biden's son, Hunter Biden, is on the board of directors of the Burisma, uh Ukrainian natural gas firm. So uh, I think referring to uh, Joe Biden as having skin in the Ukrainian natural gas game is, in a sense, quite little. And that, however, has had very little publicity. Uh, the other thing dominating our news, uh, in addition to hating on Putin and hating on Russia, is hating on China and uh, having everything to do with uh, the Olympics. Uh, that also is reaching a fevered pitch. Uh, after this program, perhaps we'll have one more installment of microcosm. In fact, uh, looking at the time, this will probably be a two-parter. But we're going to go into the Peng Shui Psyop. I'm probably mispronouncing that uh, woman's name. She is the Chinese tennis champion who had an affair with the former vice premier of China. Uh, she did not, as she has uh, maintained uh, in several different uh, communications and interviews, accused the gentleman of sexual assault. They had an on-again, off-again consensual relationship, and she expressed in her Internet post uh, quite a bit of hurt, which is understandable, and a lot of bitterness at uh, the termination of the relationship, both uh, initially and for quite some time, and then following a resumption of that affair. But she did not accuse him of sexual assault. That is pure BS, and we're going to talk about that. Beyond that, however, we're going to talk about some of the deep politics surrounding Peng Shui, and that is being used to uh, smear China, smear its sports programs, and generally feed the sort of hysteria that uh, we are also seeing vis-a-vis Putin and Russia and Ukraine. Not only the Women's Tennis Association, but the International Olympic Committee, which are playing sort of a bad cop, good cop uh, role, respectively, in this. But uh, elements associated with that not only have links to what I have called the underground Reich, but also to the intelligence community as well. We're going to talk about that, but the... Uh, Peng Shui, again, her name is P-E-N-G-S-H-U-I, is an example of political language giving the appearance of solidity to pure air. And uh, Ms. Peng's situation, I think, is exemplary of just how we are going round a bend as a political culture, and we are doing just that I think perhaps the effects of the pandemic, what I termed in the early part of my exhaustive two-year coverage of that, a bio-psyop apocalypse, are, may, are, are helping to drive the general 
level of insanity and hysteria even higher than they would be. Certainly everyone, by the way, including members of the audience, including the former Vice Premier of China, uh, Ms. Peng, Peng Shui, the aforementioned Chinese tennis star, uh, and yours truly, everyone is feeling stressed out because of this, and I think that is uh, leaving an awful lot of people to be even more hair-trigger-prone to coin the term than they might otherwise be. But we are living, in my opinion, in a giant fascist lunatic asylum. And uh, as we look at the career of the late Lewis Kuttner and uh, his involvement with Amnesty International, the prestigious human rights organization, which itself has some very strong intelligence and uh, fascist involvement. We're going to get into that. I think that Mr. Kuttner's activities are something of a microcosm, and we're going to see this prestigious liberal and a member of the board of directors of Amnesty International, described, by the way, in his New York Times obituary incorrectly as a co-founder of Amnesty International. Amnesty clarified that. They waited till 2020 to talk about it, and Kuttner died quite a few years ago, but he was not apparently the co-founder of Amnesty International. He was, however, a member of its board of directors and uh, was networked with uh, the founders indeed. As we take a look at the activities and career of this prestigious liberal, we're going to see that he touches on many of the things that are manifesting uh, now, both with regard to Ukraine and Russia and with regard to China. One of the points that I have made, and I'm going to make again very briefly, is that one of the things that we are seeing with regard to both uh, China and Russia are manifestations of what uh, was known as the World Anti-Communist League that cons- consisted uh, in considerable measure of the APACL, the Asian People's Anti-Communist League, which involved the Kuomintang on Taiwan, uh, South Korea, and the fascist elements in Japan, chiefly uh, grouped around the Unification Church and some of the Japanese war criminals involved with its financing, such as Sasakawa Ruichi and Kodama Yoshio, about whom we have spoken extensively. Another major element of the World Anti-Communist League was the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations that was uh, formed in 1943 by Adolf Hitler. It then was led by the OUNB, or dominated by the OUNB, uh, the Ukrainian fascist organization headed up uh, by Stefan Bandera. We spoke about his assassination in connection with the assassination of JFK, and also uh, by Yaroslav Stetsko. He was the wartime 
head of collaborationist Ukraine and implemented the Third Reich ethnic cleansing policies in Ukraine. And he was among the people with whom uh, Louis Kuttner, the Jewish liberal uh, stalwart of Amnesty International, was networking. In addition, Kuttner was active on behalf of a movement to replace Chiang Kai-shek as head of the government of Taiwan. He basically, as we looked at in our long series about the narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, he, after the, his loss in the Chinese Civil War, fled to Taiwan, that, that island uh, nation basically was under martial law for uh, roughly 20 years. Uh, we are now being told that Taiwan is an independent, self-governing democracy. It certainly is up to a point. I have wondered about how that transition took place. Uh, one of the things that is a manifestation of American empire is frequently after uh, they have installed someone to serve as a strongman slash killer, a prominent example being the late not-so-great Saddam Hussein, who ascended to leadership in Iraq courtesy of a CIA-assisted coup. He was placed in that position to do what he did best. He was a stone killer. Uh, eventually, however, when uh, the killing has been accomplished and has uh, left the killer as something of a public relations embarrassment. Periodically, uh, those uh, satraps are replaced and or eliminated. Saddam Hussein was one. And I have wondered about uh, the metamorphosis of Taiwan as basically a military dictatorship under Chiang Kai-shek and the Kuomintang, something uh, still of a narco-fascist dictatorship, and how it transitioned to being a, quote, independent, self-governing democracy. One of the things that I strongly suspected was that eventually, when Chiang Kai-shek became something of an embarrassment, he was eased out, uh, or was uh, basically replaced by a CIA-enabled uh, social democratic movement, which would be far more palatable from a PR standpoint as long as it was anti-communist. I think uh, the notion that China is going to attack Taiwan is also uh, a non-starter if for the sake of, ex uh, if, if for example, uh, intermediate or short-range missiles, offensive missiles, which could attack mainland China were stationed on Taiwan. That might precipitate a war, but the, the Chinese, like Putin and the Russians, are neither insane nor stupid, and they are not going to start a third world war, which would be immensely destructive. Uh, China has uh, made no secret of its 
displeasure with Taiwan and uh, some of its restriction of uh, key trade items uh, vis-à-vis the mainland. As we are going to see, uh, there was also an element of Taiwanese interference in the so-called pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong. We've dealt with that at great length, and that was basically a U.S. intel operation in a considerable measure, uh, something of a shorthand representation of that is the fact that Pepe the Frog, the symbol of the alt-right in the U.S., became uh, something of the icon of the independence movement or pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. They adopted an anthem taken directly from the World War II slogan of the OUNB, Glory to Ukraine, Glory to the Heroes. Uh, That has now become the salute of the contemporary Ukrainian military and police, and the elements of the OUNB successor organizations in Ukraine under the GONOR, G-O-N-O-R, organizations supported by an EU NGO elements of Province Sector and the Azov Battalion have been networking with the, quote, pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. Likewise, one of the central Sources, one of the go-to sources for the, quote, genocide, unquote, fabrication vis-a-vis Xinjiang province. Not incidentally, a petroleum and mineral resource uh, rich province in China with a Turkophone Muslim people, the Uyghurs, who have long had networking with various elements ranging from the Kuomintang, as we looked at in our narco-fascism series, uh, also with elements of the Third Reich via the 167th Turkestan Legion, and uh, also with pan-Turkist fascist elements associated with the Grey Wolves, and with Islamist fascist terrorists of both Al-Qaeda and the Islamic. Steve, uh, something of a, of a new low. Before we get into uh, Louise Cutman, this will definitely be a two-part series as I look at the time. <laughs> Forgive me, I know I've been declining bloviating and I've been doing my share here, but the listeners can look on this as a little bit of, a, of speech therapy for Dave. <laughs> uh, I think it is better than puking all over the microphone and all over the production board here, which is what I feel like doing. A new low. I'm not sure that I would have been able to... uh, There will probably be yet another new low, but uh, the American Holocaust Museum issued a communique endorsing the, quote, genocide, unquote, uh, propaganda in Xinjiang province, and the source that they cited was the <laughs> a report issued by New Lives Institute. That is uh, not only an amalgam of far right-wing organizations with links to uh, the intelligence community of various countries, uh, the Falun Gong cult supported by the CIA, which has also uh, had uh, 
articles uh, in the so-called alternative health uh, community supporting the lab leak uh, hypothesis of uh, COVID. Uh, but the two of the principal sources for the New Lines Institute report were the International Institute for Islamic thought, basically a Muslim Brotherhood front organization uh, deeply implicated in the September 11th attacks, and, drumroll fanfare please, Adrian Zenz, the aforementioned go-to guy, so to speak, for the uh, Xinjiang uh, Uyghur genocide uh, propaganda. Interesting, one of the interesting and to me nauseating aspects of that is that Adrian Zenz's uh, CV goes to, to the Victims of Communist Memorial, Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation, a direct offshoot of the Captive Nations Committee, which is a subsidiary organization of the OUNB and the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, co-founded by Lev Dobriansky and the aforementioned Yaroslav Stetsko. Stetsko, again, uh, head of the World War II collaborationist government in Ukraine, despite uh, a superficial disagreement with them, and which he was placed under a very comfortable house arrest for a time by the Third Reich. He later enthusiastically collaborated with them. And uh, again, Ibrian Zems is a protege, or a, a, basically his gravitas stems from that, he's also an end times Christian who uh, thinks gays, among others, are uh, destined to hell and thinks that Jews who don't convert to Christianity are going to be in terrible uh, straits when the end times comes. For the American Holocaust Museum to rely on a report like the New Lives Institute report is a new low, and we'll probably have something worse still. And that is really bad. <laughs> when you when you when you quote uh, sources for genocide claims are elements uh, associated not only with the Muslim Brotherhood but with September 11th, and then the OUNB Captive Nations Committee, etc., uh, who themselves. Uh, have a heritage of genocidal activity well documented in Ukraine, well, that is a new low. But probably that will be uh, superseded uh, before too much longer. Well, after bloviating, I, I think the career of Louise Kuttner in many ways serves as a microcosm for these nauseating parameters and for the monumental hypocrisy. And the people are wondering why I use the term, quote, so-called progressive sector, unquote. This is why. Uh, before we get to Louise Kuttner proper, uh, Talking about Taiwan, and if people are, uh, again, if, if you're afraid that there is going to be a war, I think it is altogether unlikely that China is going to attack Taiwan. It does make for wonderful copy. It makes for 
increased weapon sales, uh, gives, uh, smiling Joe Biden a chance to, uh, dodge the fact that he is so brain damaged he can't pronounce polysyllables and he can't, so he can look tough vis-a-vis China and Taiwan. Uh, by the way, uh, the U.S. and a few other countries have diplomatically boycotted the Olympics in uh in uh, China now uh because of the alleged genocide human rights violations and so forth in Xinjiang no muslim country <laughs> has diplomatically boycotted that and uh Saudi Arabia Iran and Pakistan for three three of the most militant muslim countries have uh, negated those allegations but that does not make it into our press Worth noting, and this is something of a transition to the career of Louise Kuttner, who was active in conjunction with CIA elements in helping to, or moving, I would be a better way, to overthrow the government of Chiang Kai-shek in Taiwan. Again, I have speculated that the, quote, uh, stable self-governing democracy, unquote, in Taiwan, uh, is the end product of uh, a common uh, U.S. intelligence practice of replacing uh, some of their murderous satraps once uh, the killing has been done and they become something of a PR embarrassment with a more palatable, as long as they are anti-communist and pro-U.S. social democratic government. Worth noting, though, is that there was uh, interference in the, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong by elements in Taiwan. Suppose there had been interference in American politics like this. And again, as I have cited so many times, uh, indicative of the Orwellian political language in connection with the, uh, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong, in the early stages of the pandemic in the uh, winter of 2020, uh, there was a piece in the New York Times about uh, a hotel in Hong Kong that was being used to house COVID victims, and this aroused the ire of some of the quote, pro-democracy uncle elements. And the New York Times lead described uh, the incident as follows. It says... The protesters, dressed wearing masks and dressed in black, threw their Molotov cocktails into the lobby of the building. Uh, If two people dressed in black, wearing masks, threw Molotov cocktails into any building you were in or any room you were in, you wouldn't say, oh, golly, there are those protesters exercising their rights to free speech. That is not protest, that is terrorism. But again, as Orwell noted, uh, political language is designed to make uh, lies sound truthful and murder respectable, and also to give the appearance of solidity to pure wind. Noting Taiwanese interference in the quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong, along with elements like Pravi Sector, uh, the Azov Battalion, etc., 
uh, something we used in for the record 11, uh, 1091 rather. Uh, this is from Consortium News, which in turn got it from the Gray Zone, an article by Dan Cohen, U.S. Max Xenophobia and Mob Violence in Hong Kong. While dumping money into the Hong Kong pro-U.S. political camp in 2013, Jimmy Lai, he is the publisher of the Apple Daily tabloid that has now been closed down. He also has as an advisor and uh, sort of gopher a fellow named Mark Simon, whose CV suggests very strongly that he was and may very well still be a U.S. intelligence officer, his disclaimers to the contrary notwithstanding. One more time. While dumping money into the Hong Kong, while dumping money into Hong Kong's pro-U.S. political camp in 2013, Jimmy Lai traveled to Taiwan for a secret roundtable consultation with Xi Jinping, a key figure in Taiwan's social movement that forced then-President Chen Shui-bian to resign in 2008. Xi reportedly instructed Lai on nonviolent tactics to bring the government to heel emphasizing the importance of a commitment to go to jail. According to journalist Peter Lee, quote, she supposedly gave law advice on putting students, young girls, and mothers with children in the vanguard of the street protests in order to attract the support of the international community and press and to sustain the movement with continual activities to keep it dynamic and fresh, unquote. Lai reportedly turned off his recording device during multiple sections of Xi's tutorial. Uh, again, there was apparently some uh, Taiwanese participation in the, quote, pro-democracy movement in Hong Kong. Uh, again, uh, stating ever so briefly, suppose the Xu were on the other foot. Suppose that elements associated with the Chinese government and Chinese intelligence as the National Endowment for Democracy and related organizations are. Uh, they were involved in a big way with uh, the uh, Hong Kong quote, pro-democracy movement. Suppose they were helping to finance and support uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Suppose also that key Chinese political figures were meeting regularly with the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement, and that the Black Lives Matter protests, uh, which have been overwhelmingly peaceful, uh, disintegrated into uh, sabotaging subway uh, stations, derailing subway trains, throwing Molotov cocktails at riot police, setting passers-by on fire, as the, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement did. All the while, uh, flying the Chinese flag and singing the Chinese national anthem. That dog wouldn't hunt. That would be considered not improperly an act of war. Well, that basically is what the U.S. has been doing in Hong Kong. Uh, again, I've talked about that at length. Uh, we haven't got time here. But note, uh, as we observe the uh, saber raffling and the hyperbole that there was apparently uh, a Taiwanese role with Jimmy Lai, who's way, 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 way to the right in the, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong. Now, Luis 
Kuttner. Again, a, a revered Jewish liberal and a member of the board of directors of the American chapter of Amnesty International, misidentified in his obituary as a co-founder of Amnesty International, but he was networked with uh, the people who founded it. In his Wikipedia entry, Louis Kutman, he also helped free Hungarian Cardinal Josef Minzenzi, American fascist poet Ezra Pound, former Congo President Moise Chombe, and represented the Dalai Lama and Tibet. Kuttner is widely known as one of the most prominent human rights attorneys of the 20th century. Declassified records show that Kuttner had a history of collusion with the FBI and the CIA. That's an understatement. In 1969, he he reported Fred Hampton to the FBI in the days leading to Hampton's death at the hands of the Chicago police. In 1973, he petitioned the CIA for $250,000 to set up an NGO in Beijing in return letting the agency, quote, staff it completely with our own people, unquote. There is no record of such an agency having uh, come into being. However, as we will see, and this will probably be in our next program, Louise Kuttner was working with early Taiwan independence activists who were looking to uh, basically defenestrate Shanghai Shek. I strongly suspect that the scenario that uh, I posited or intuited has in fact uh, taken place where basically at a certain point Shanghai Shek, you know, a murderous old drug dealer, became an embarrassment. Plus, uh, Taiwan had been under martial law for 20 years. In the mid-80s, uh, it was still under martial law with a 9 p.m. curfew. And uh, I suspected that ultimately that became uh, a PR embarrassment. Uh, politically and historically, China's claim of uh, Taiwan slash Formosa being uh, a breakaway province is correct. Again, politically and historically. Practically speaking, however, I think at this point in time, after, well, roughly 70 plus years of independent rule, whether uh, dictatorial or, quote, democratic, unquote, I think it is unlikely that that reunification will ever take place. Hopefully, uh, there will be a more stable and peaceful relationship than the one that is currently taking place, but <laughs> that remains to be seen. Uh, certainly, however, uh, Louis Kuttner, in addition to his many other activities, was working apparently in conjunction with elements of CIA in a Taiwan independence movement, which was not nonviolent, at least at first. They actually made a, an attempt on the life of Chiang Ching Kuo, Chiang Kai-shek's son, but the, the participation of uh, St. Kuttner so to speak, in such an activity is, I think, indicative that such a movement was, in fact, underway and probably became more skillfully and uh, subtly effective as it evolved. But I think the career of Louise Kuttner 
is something of a microcosm for what we are looking at. And bearing in mind the Orwell quote, again, political language is designed to make lies sound truthful, murder respectable, and to give the appearance of solidity to pure wind. Uh, The career of Louise Kuttner is absolutely accurate in this regard. Exemplary, I should say, in this regard. We are going to rely at great length on a very good article slash post by a fellow named David Giglio. I'm uh, maybe mispronouncing his name, capital G-I-G-L-I-O. This is at Our Hidden History Org, uh, OurHiddenHistory.org from April 28th of 2019. It is titled, Luis Kuttner, The Declassified Life of a Human Rights Icon, unquote, again by David Giglio, OurHiddenHistory.org, April 28th, 2019. There will be a link in the written description for these programs. And uh, excerpting the Luis Kuttner bio here. Human rights icon, mob lawyer, and quote, co-founder of Amnesty International, unquote. Again, that is incorrect. He was, however, a member of its board of directors uh, of the of the American chapter, a quote, publicity hound, unquote, a vain egotistical troublemaker, unquote, and a wannabe CIA conspirator, a poet, an associate of Jack Ruby, and a friend, unquote, of J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI. Such was the complicated life of a famous Cold War-era human rights lawyer, Louise Kuttner. By the way, Carlo Menzenzi, I may be mispronouncing that, was a, a, an early uh, Cold War uh, example of, quote, mind control, unquote. And his situation gave momentum to the MK Ultra programs about which we have spoken so often. Uh, Louise Kuttner, <laughs> man, this guy touched a lot of bases. He wasn't just uh, an associate of Jack Ruby. We'll go into that. He also uh, was networked with the Information Council of the Americas, headed up by Ed Butler. We've spoken about that at great length in our uh, treatment of the brilliant, incisive research of Ed Haslam and his book. His first book was called, uh, oh golly, I've forgotten the title. Of it. Anyway, it was called, the, the, the second book put out by Tron Bay was called Dr. Mary's Monkey. It's about the murder of Dr. Mary Sherman, but a whole lot more than that. And again, Ed Haslam's work on uh, the SV40 monkey virus and the research into that down in New Orleans and uh, the way that figured into the murder of Dr. Mary Sherman and uh, some of the activities uh, that uh, people like David Ferry were involved with. Just a brilliant, brilliant piece of research. And we visited with Ed Haslam many times on our program. Uh, in addition to Jack Ruby and the Information Council of the Americas, as we will see, Louis Kuttner was networked with the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations and uh, Yaroslav Stetsko. I, I don't know if he ever worked for the American Holocaust Museum, but uh, given how low they have sunk by uh, 
accessing the work of yeah, the the New Lodge Institute. Basically, the, the Muslim Brotherhood meets the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations. Uh, he certainly missed his opportunity. Uh, skipping down now in this essay by David Giglio at uh, OurHiddenHistory.org blog from April 28th of 2019. Kuttner's reputation began to grow, especially as he began to take on more international cases. These cases tended to, though not always, deal with prisoners held in the Eastern Bloc or in the newly independent countries of the non-aligned world. Such cases, for obvious reasons, were most attractive to the U.S. press. Again, note that he was networked with the Dalai Lama. We spoke with him about him and his many links, not only to uh, CIA, but uh, to the SS uh, Army Merba Expedition in 1939 and some of the people connected with that. The Dalai Lama's tutor, Heinrich Harder, was an SS officer. And noting also that the human rights activist, uh, uh, Louise Kuttner, worked on behalf of Ezra Pound. Uh, again, this guy was quite an individual. More about Kuttner continuing, continuing with David Giglio's essay. Kuttner worked on the case of Joseph Cardinal Minzenti, a Hungarian priest whose story became a centerpiece of anti-communist propaganda in the West. Minzenti's glazed-over, unquote, look at his trial would become the CIA's excuse to embark on MKUltra experimentation. That actually uh, was uh, caused initially by the uh, charge that uh, captured American airmen uh, during the Korean War had been brainwashed, unquote, to say that the U.S. had been practicing biological warfare against China and North Korea, as that missing chapter from an excellent book on Unit 731 revealed, in fact, a thing did take place. I came across that quite accidentally. I was researching uh, Unit 731. That, by the way, is for the record program 1171, 1172, and 1173, the missing chapter parts 1, 2, and 3. Continuing with the, the career, the illustrious career of uh, Louise Kuttner, something of a microcosm, in 1958, he helped free the fascist poet Ezra Pound, Kuttner claimed that upon release, Pound asked him if he was Jewish and then spat in his face. By the way, upon his release, uh, Ezra Pound, who had been uh, broadcasting propaganda on behalf of Mussolini, gave the fascist salute. Continuing, Kuttner is listed in several obituaries, including in the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune, as, quote, co-founder of Amnesty International, unquote. This is almost certainly an exaggeration. His papers from the period do show a close correspondence with Peter Benenson and the C's quote, other, unquote, co-founder. These letters date from the early days of the organization, then called, quote, appeal for amnesty, unquote. But they also seem to indicate that he and Benenson met only after its creation. Cutler did, though, serve on the National Advisory Council of the organization's U.S. branch. An examination of declassified government documents only adds to the controversy. They reveal Louise Kuttner's many hidden interactions with the FBI, the CIA, and the Mafia underworld. The record of his association with various far-right figures is also included. 
they even revealed the violent efforts of a terrorist group he defended under the guise of, quote, human rights, unquote. And skipping down. On the fringes of the Chicago mob is David Giglio's next section. According to the Chicago Historical Society, who kept part of his papers, Kirtner was, quote, on the fringes of the Chicago mob, unquote, in his youth. This brought Cutler into contact with one Sparky Rubenstein, more familiarly known to history as Jack Ruby. Rubenstein was just three years Cutler's junior and also a hanger-on of Chicago's West Side gangs. Both remained tied to the mob in one way or another in the following years. Ruby moved to Dallas to help the Chicago mob expand its rackets in the city. Cutner stayed in Chicago to practice law, counting mob figures among his clients. And during this period, they apparently did not lose touch. In the early 1950s, a Senate committee known as the Kefauver Committee was investigating the power of organized crime in the U.S. Cutner made national news for his representation of two men in front of the committee, Harry Russell, a Chicago bookie who worked for the Capone Gang, and William Drury, a former police officer. Drury was called to testify against a corrupt Republican candidate for sheriff, but he was murdered before he could testify. But one important event didn't make news at the time. It would rather become famous in the wake of the murder of President John F. Kennedy. Cutler had acted as an intermediary between his old acquaintance, Jack Ruby, and the Keithoffer Senate Committee. According to Cutler, he connected Ruby with the committee's chief counsel, Rudolph Haley, Cutler described Ruby's goal as becoming the Mafia's, quote, pipeline, unquote, into the commission. One more time. Cutler described Ruby's goal as becoming the Mafia's, quote, pipeline, unquote, into the commission. Ruby's apparent goal was to steer the committee away from taking its investigation to ballast. Though there's no evidence that Jack Ruby's influence had any effect, Keith Arbor did not end up taking his investigatory roadshow to Dallas. Keith Arbor actually complimented a police representative for the Texas City, quote, for catching organized crime before it got started down in Dallas, unquote. Uh, no. <laughs> not true, actually. Continuing. The facts in Dallas were a little bit different. The city had a steadily growing underworld and burgeoning drugs trade. Within a few years, another Senate investigation would put Dallas in the top tier of U.S. cities for narcotics trafficking. It is perhaps important to note that Cutman wasn't just representing others in front of the Kefauver Committee, he was also called upon to defend himself from serious accusations. Specifically, he was forced to deny reports that he had obtained, quote, $60,000 from racketeers by falsely claiming he could, quote, fix, unquote, the Senate committee, unquote. At some point in the ensuing years, Cutmer became an FBI informant, listed by the Bureau as Symbol Informant 
CG, that's Charlie George, 5973 dash Charlie. Cutman reported on the activities of Chicago mob fixer, unquote, Gus Alex and his lawyer, Sidney Korshak. Korshak would later famously become a focus of a New York Times investigation led by Seymour Hersh. Cutler first became involved in international intrigues in 1960 when he acted as an emissary for two major mafia figures to the FBI. Cutler carried an offer to eliminate Cuban leader Fidel Castro to the FBI. These two mob bosses were Norman Rothman and Sam Mamarino. Mamarino, M-A-N-N-A-R-I-M-O, ran the rackets in Pittsburgh, and Rothman had run mafia casinos in Batista's Cuba. Cutner was Rothman's attorney while the two gangsters were out on bond, awaiting sentencing for a recent federal conviction. A jury had found them guilty on two important counts, a 1958 theft of weapons from an Ohio National Guard armory, and neutrality act violations for attempting to get the stolen weapons to Cuba. An FBI memo describes the events of May 9, 1960. Seeking a lighter sentence for his client, Kutner walked into the office of the assistant U.S. attorney and advised officials there of the following. Rothman has been a close personal friend of Valencio Batista, and is one of the few persons trusted by Batista. In fact, he, Rothman, during the time Batista was in power, was in charge of all gambling in Cuba. Having known Batista as well as he claims, and being aware of his current activities and also revolutionary activities, he is in a position to know what may happen in Cuba in the future. As a matter of fact, he claims to be able to, quote, deliver Castro to the United States cause or cause Castro to be wiped out, unquote. Rothman likewise claims an acquaintance with Castro. The response of the FBI was to ask Cutner's cooperation to, quote, determine specifically what information Norman Rothman might have, which might be of interest to the Bureau or any other government agency. In 1975, when the Troops Committee made the first official ex- exposures of combined CIA mafia efforts to assassinate Fidel Castro, they pinpointed the first popping as starting in August of 1960, just a few months following Rothman's offer. And uh, we will continue this uh, in our next program. Obviously, as many listeners, including and especially veteran listeners, uh, the attempts uh, to kill Castro, including the mob, also uh, heavily overlapped the media of the assassination of JFK. However, we will continue with this in our next program. This concludes for the record program number 1126, Microcosm Part 1. This is being recorded on February 11th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun. <laughs>